Good morning. How are we all doing this morning? Lost that hour of sleep last night, right? We're okay. We're here. We can do this. Well, this morning um, and all throughout Lent, we have been looking towards the cross. We've been looking at Jesus' death on the cross for us and what it means for us today. So far, we've talked about because of his love, we have infinite worth. We are accepted by God. We are no longer slaves. And today we look at we are healed. And here's the truth, friends. The healing provided by the cross always points to redemption so that we may live in righteousness. This week I was um, reading a blog by Ann Voskamp and she says in her blog, suffering was promised to us in the Garden of Eden and suffering was experienced with and for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was promised to us in the Garden of Eden and it was experienced with and for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. If suffering is a truth of the world today, what does it mean that we are healed in Christ? And what if we lived as though we were healed in Christ? What would our lives look like if we lived healed of the things that previously held us back before we knew Jesus? The world that we have is filled with brokenness. That's what Anne was talking about in her blog. And we walk around with these wounds of suffering. And the truth is, is that when we're hurt, we hurt others. There's that phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And so if our world today is going to change, we need to live as healed people in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how we find hope in a God who sent his son to suffer with and for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you loved us so much that you sent your son to live a life free from sin so that we may be able to know what it means to be free from sin. God, would you open our minds and our hearts to hear your word this morning. Give us your eyes to see ourselves the way that you see us as healed. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, just as Annika read for us from 1 Peter, 1 Peter, this uh, section that we have before us this morning, is all about Jesus suffering for us. Now, in the uh, letter that Peter is writing, he's writing to the followers of Jesus who are living as exiles. He uses this Old Testament language of those scattered in lands that are not their own. Faithful believers dispersed among other cultures. Those are the Christians that Peter is writing to in this letter. Christians who are living lives counter to the culture that they are surrounded by. They're fighting against a dominant culture that is not their own, and in fact, one that mocks them for their faith in Christ. Sound familiar? When Peter discusses suffering in this letter, this is who he's talking to. 
It's important to know that the suffering Peter talks about is not necessarily a traumatic suffering. There are other places that can talk about what it means to have trauma in our lives and to suffer that effect of that trauma. The suffering that Peter is talking about is the everyday struggle to live a life for Christ in a world that doesn't know Christ. In a world that maybe knows who Christ is, but doesn't really want anything to do with it. These are the people that Peter is talking to. Throughout the letter, he gives encouragement to those living that struggle and guidance in that way. He poses the questions, how do we live for God under these circumstances? And he points to living into the call of God to be righteous in the midst of suffering. What's interesting about this text is that Peter never talks about the end of suffering. He talks about being in the midst of suffering. In a lot of other places um, in the New Testament, it talks about pointing to the future of the, the hope that we have when Christ returns, the end of suffering. But in this context, what Peter is saying to these Christians is that you are in the midst of suffering, and what do we do about that? So he starts off in our text this morning by reminding them of the call of God. He says, you are called to do good even when it's hard because of Jesus. Um, He points towards Isaiah 53. He pretty much quotes Isaiah in this next little bit. And Isaiah 53 is a, a... a section of scripture that points towards the suffering servant. There are four parts in Isaiah where Isaiah talks about the suffering servant. And we know now that that suffering servant was pointing to Jesus. So when Peter points back to Isaiah in talking about Jesus, he's tying in this whole tradition of scripture saying that Jesus is the ultimate sufferer, the ultimate servant suffering for us. And so here is what Jesus does. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Then he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. This word we have before us, um, healed, there's two really important things that I found about this word as I was studying this week. The first is that it doesn't mean physical healing. It's not the connotation of like you have an injury and you're going to be healed of that injury. He's talking more of a spiritual healing. And the second thing that's really important is that in the original language of Greek, this word healed is past tense and it's passive. Now, if you know anything about grammar, you know that we're not really supposed to use the passive tense, right? I got marked so many times in English for using the passive tense. I like really like it and teachers do not. But Peter... Peter says, you are healed. 
And that's important because one, it's already done. It's over. The act of the cross, you are healed. And the second thing, it's passive. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to work for it. You are healed. And that's really important. Because the healing, again, provided by the cross always points to redemption so that we can live in righteousness. Redemption, the day when Christ returns and there will be no more, no more suffering, that's what we're pointing towards in our healing. That's what when we are healed, we are able to live in a way that is redeeming the suffering. And eventually, that suffering will be gone. Christ will return, a new heaven and a new earth. There's a lot of things in the Bible about that. Eventually, we have that hope. But what do we do right now? Yeah, great question, right? Because we are healed, what do we do now? Well, friends, suffering is real, right? There's this like hashtag called uh, hashtag the struggle is real and people use it to say things that are like not really that hard. So we say hashtag the struggle is real, I forgot my phone charger at home, right? First world problems. But the struggle is real. There is a life of suffering ahead of us as Anne was talking about in her blog this week. And Peter uh, will talk about the benefits of suffering, right? We've, we've heard a lot of things about the benefits of suffering. Back in chapter one, verse six, he says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your fear is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Elsewhere in scripture, it says these things too. In Romans 5, um, verses 3 through 5, it says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our hope of salvation. There's a trajectory in suffering, right? It starts with suffering. It builds endurance it gives us strength of character, and that character strengthens our hope. And that's awesome. But sometimes we jump too quickly to hope. Sometimes it's hard to have the hope because you're still back in the, in the, in the suffering, in the endurance. When I um, started seminary uh, back in Chicago, I moved to Chicago in July, and the previous December, my father had passed away. And I thought, you know, December to July, that's like six months, I'm good, right? So I move across the country, I move in for the very first time with people that I had, had never met before. 
Now, most people experience that in college, right? At 18, you go off, you have a roommate. Well, I lived at home throughout college, so I had never lived with a roommate in my entire life. So here I was, 20-something, three, four, 24, moving in for the first time with people that I had, no, I had never met before. And uh, my first roommate in that apartment, I had a couple, but my first roommate in that apartment, um, we did not so much see like eye to eye, right? Um, Remember earlier when I said hurt people hurt people? Well, I was a hurt person, and so I was hurting people. And so all of a sudden I'm living in this really tiny apartment, because in Chicago, no apartments are big. We're in this really tiny space. It's just the two of us for a little while. Um, There's some other things going on in our lives that made it really difficult, like seminary. Um, And I just, I felt like we just kept like ramming against each other. And I realized at some point, because in seminary, what they really, really, really want you to understand beyond, um, you know, the Bible and the texts and all the history of the church and all those things, what they want you to understand in seminary is that you need to live a life of healed and redemption um, in order to lead people. And in seminary, over and over again, they kept saying, if you don't deal with it here, you'll deal with it in your ministry. And so here I was... 24 years old, just lost my father six months before I moved here, living with a roommate who, in all honesty, like we could not stand each other. And I was just lashing out because I was not healed. There was suffering in my life that I had not dealt with. Enter the process of three years of seminary where I got to deal with it. So what do we do in the present suffering of our lives? I could not get to hope. I was in seminary in a Christian community where hope was like every other sentence in all of our classes. We always pointed to the return of Jesus. We always pointed to the hope of redemption and I could not get there. And here are some things that I've learned along the way. How do we live as redeemed and healed people when we don't feel healed? First, we cry out to God. If we're taking our cues from the ultimate uh, suffering servant, we remember that even Jesus cried out to God. Hebrews uh, 5 verse 7 says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Our God is big enough to handle even our rawest emotions. The access that we have to God through the Holy Spirit means that we can say what we need to say about our current circumstances. It may not feel right because we're told as Christians to kind of suppress those raw emotions. We're told that you need to be able to live for the hope. So in this current situation, just keep that suffering on the down low. But the truth is that our God knows those things of our heart. And when we um, make that act of crying out to God, It's kind of like exiting our bodies through that cry. God already knows it. He doesn't need to hear it from us. He wants to hear it from us. 
And if we are looking at Jesus, Jesus did it. In the garden before his death, he cried out to God. But here's the second part of that. Secondly, we have to trust in God's economy. It says that Jesus put himself in God's hand because God always judges fairly. Yes, Jesus cried out in the garden. He asked for the cup of suffering to be taken away from him. All of that happened, and then he went to the cross. God's economy is bigger and better than ours. And what I mean by that is that we know that Jesus will return and that all things will be made right again. And we have to trust in that truth. And for me, this is the hardest part of the equation. I can cry out to God all day long. The hardest part is to put my hands and my life into the God who promises great things, who promises redemption, who promises that he is gonna take this brokenness in my life and he is gonna make it something beautiful. That's the hardest part for me. In our uh, confirmation class on Sunday mornings, one of the requirements is to memorize scripture. And one of the reasons that that is so important for moments like this, for moments when you can't even think to open your Bible and find scripture that is gonna tell you what God is doing in your life. It's so that those things are ingrained in your mind for those moments when you need it the most. Nothing in our personal lives is too difficult for God. I heard a quote once where somebody said, um, nothing in your story is going to be the first story in all of human history to stump God. Right? But it feels that way. It feels like this is going to be the one time that God doesn't show up. But it's not true, friends. We have to trust in God's economy. And the third part, my favorite part, we need to be surrounded by community. The community of believers is no joke. We need those people who will come alongside of us and hold us up when we feel like we can't. We need friends to pray with us, to stand in the gap with us, to remind us that these promises of God, to send us verses of hope and comfort and promise when we can't even think about opening our Bibles. The fellowship of believers is so key. It's why Jesus calls the disciples so that they would have um, each other. This week uh, in youth group, we talked about uh, the Pentecost. We talked about how after Jesus went up um, to be in heaven, that the disciples sat around kind of asking that question, what now? Jesus left the disciples each other. He promises the Holy Spirit and he gives the Holy Spirit, but they had each other to be able to walk that journey together. As a side note, part of that community might mean more substantial support. I said earlier um, that this suffering wasn't necessarily about traumatic suffering, but there is traumatic suffering in our worlds and in our lives. 
And I wouldn't um, be doing my uh, due diligence if it wasn't, if I wouldn't say that sometimes we need bigger support than just community. And that sometimes we need appropriate um, steps towards healing, which can include counseling, can include pastoral care, can include a number of other things in order to get to the place where we can be healed, sometimes we need more than just the fellowship of believers. Prayer works. I believe in that. So yes to prayer and also yes to appropriate treatment. So this morning, I don't know the things in all of our lives that's causing our suffering. I don't know um, what that looks like for each person in this room. But what I do know is that there can be wounds of all shapes and sizes in our lives. There could be wounds from the life that we've lived in our past, sin, hardship. They could be wounds from the world, struggle with the way that we are, the way that we look, the security that we have. They could be wounds from scarcity, a lack of support or love or financial need. The wounds are numerous. But whatever your wounds are, remember that by his wounds, we are healed. And that that healing provided by the cross always points towards redemption. So that we may live in righteousness. Friends, we are not alone in this. Because of his love, because the Lord, our God, is in your corner. We as a church have fellowship. We can step into healing and we can live lives of redemption and hope. Let's pray. Gracious God, you know the things in our hearts and on our minds God, we know that you do not stir things up that you don't mean to heal. So whatever it is this morning that we need to give back to you, God, may we have the strength to cry out to you, to trust you, and to surround ourselves with people who push us towards a life with you. We love you, and we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the ways you have healed us. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.